0: Welcome to Trading Tomorrow, Navigating Trends in Capital Markets. I'm your host, Jim Jockle. In my decade plus of working with Numerix, a global leader in capital markets risk management technology, I have launched our Thought Leadership Division, a place where insights, innovation, and expertise converge, just like this podcast. Through my journey in the financial realm, I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand how the capital markets landscape has transformed the complex dance of market trends and innovative technology has redefined how the finance industry operates with game changing innovations just around the corner. We now stand at a crossroads one where it is more crucial than ever to understand the interplay between these realms. That's what we do here. We talk about current and future processes and technologies you need to be aware of moving forward. Today, we're talking about a technology being called the future of capital markets, blockchain asset tokenization. Advocates and supporters say this technology could forever change the financial landscape, and the revolution is already well underway. City analysts have forecasted $4 trillion to $5 trillion of tokenized digital securities could be issued by 2030. For this episode, we want to dig deep into what this technology means for capital markets and the reason behind this push we're seeing for the adoption. Joining me today to discuss further is Graham Moore. He's the head of tokenization at the Polymesh Association, a not-for-profit dedicated to the growth of the Polymesh blockchain ecosystem. Polymesh is a public institutional-grade permission blockchain built specifically for regulated assets. It streamlines the antiquated process and opens the door to new financial instruments by solving the challenges around governance, identity, compliance, confidentiality, and settlement. Graham is also the author of B is for Bitcoin, the first ever ABC book about Bitcoin. Prior to Polymesh, Graham was the first employee at Polymath, the creative director at Spartan Race, and associate at Canada's largest independent investment advisory firm. Graham, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So can you first just explain to our listeners what is Polymesh and why was it created?
1: So PolyMesh is a layer one public permission blockchain built specifically for asset tokenization. So you mentioned I was the first employee at PolyMath. So PolyMath was really the first company in the world that started building compliance requirements uh, for securities on blockchains. So Polymath was a company formed in 2017 and we started building that technology all on Ethereum. And you know, we got some good traction there, but we were talking to the world's largest banks and custodians and uh, they said they didn't really like Ethereum for securities. And our developers didn't really like Ethereum for securities either. So we said, okay, well, you know, instead of continuing to try to shove this technology into a bank's infrastructure, let's build something better. So that's Polymesh. We said Polymesh is a better blockchain. It's purpose-built just for asset tokenization. Whereas blockchains like Ethereum, Algorand, Tezos, Hashgraph, you know, take your pick, they're kind of all things to everybody. Whereas Polymesh is hyper focused on how can we build the best blockchain just for this one use case.
0: So just to be precise, what is a public permission blockchain?
1: Yeah. So a lot of people have maybe heard of a public blockchain and maybe heard of a private blockchain. Um, So probably the winner in the public blockchain space right now is Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, And then there's private blockchains like Ethereum Hyperledger and R3 Corda that a lot of banks have experimented with. And what we said is, you know, the future is in public blockchains, but just the things we kept hearing over and over again from banks was that they didn't like the totally permissionless aspect of Ethereum. And so what I mean by that is anyone can do anything, no one has to ask permission. So you're making a transaction and let's imagine you're JP Morgan, you're making a hundred million dollar bond trade right alongside Al Qaeda receiving funding from another terrorist group. And so that's just something that they really don't like doing. Um, And then on top of that, anyone can... Uh, can create blocks on Ethereum as well. So previously it was mining blocks, now it's staking blocks. But so anyone who creates a block gets a block reward and they also receive transaction fees from that block. So every time people make a bunch of transactions on Ethereum, the person who correctly wins that block gets paid and they get paid those transaction fees. So let's say again, JP Morgan makes a $100 million bond trade and they pay $5 in gas fees, the $5 could go to North Korea. And so just again, really, how could we make a blockchain that makes these Large institutions that are so obsessed with compliance and regulations, how can we get them more comfortable with blockchain? And one of the ways we figured that out was, well, we can make a permissioned blockchain. So on Polymesh, for example, all of the users have to pass KYC. So now, you know, you can rest assured at least the users have gone through some KYC process. You know, they probably aren't in Al Qaeda or living in North Korea. Um, and then on top of that, all of the node operators are licensed financial entities. And so what we mean we mean by that is they have some kind of financial license. So it might be a broker dealer, there might be a custodian, there might be a bank. And again, it was, how can we solve the problem of J.P. Morgan not wanting to send $5 to North Korea? Well, now they know they're sending the $5, but in Polymesh's case with much lower fees, they're sending their one penny or two pennies to one of these 18 licensed financial entities.
0: Hmm. So uh, would you dive in a little bit into uh, some of the benefits of using blockchain tokenization specific in, specifically in the capital markets?
1: Yeah. I, I boil it down to, to EAT, um, efficiency, automation, and transparency. So Initially, one one of my jobs uh, er, earlier in life uh, when I was in university in the summer was working at a bond fund. And so what I had to do every single morning was come into the office and look at what the custodian thought we had in terms of our bond and our accrued interest and what we thought we had in terms of our bond and our accrued interest, which makes absolutely no sense in a world where now we have the internet, where everything should be interconnected and we have blockchains where everyone can agree on a single golden source of truth, which is the blockchain. And so, you know, this concept of different siloed databases where no one talks to each other and no one knows exactly what each other has and no one can agree and you have to get someone like me to come in and go, hey, you said it was 0.12, but we think it's 0.13. And then we have to go back and look at some documents and look at some Excel spreadsheets. That makes no sense anymore. Um, We have a golden source of truth now where everyone can agree and everyone can plug into. It's called the public blockchain. And so that's one of the big ones for for efficiency is just not having to do a lot of this back office stuff. Um, For automation as well, we can now automate things that we couldn't previously automate. So one cool thing that, that I like to talk about is in the future what's going to happen as more and more companies bring more of their finances on chain is as soon as a company gets paid, let's say let's, uh, let's say as soon as they hit $100 million in revenue for the year, they automatically pay a special dividend to certain token holders. So that just can't happen today. You need a human being to click a button and to approve something and to sign some piece of paper and get a lawyer to sign off. But if everyone agrees ahead of time and you bake that into some kind of smart contract code, you can do that really easily. And then finally, transparency is a big one. Uh, so I recently uh, wrote a piece in Fortune that was about uh, French banks. And so uh, a bunch of French banks got fined a lot because what they would do for some of their clients is right before the ex-dividend date, they would pretend their foreign clients didn't own a French stock so that they didn't have to pay as much taxes. And then the day after the French, their, their client would magically own the stock again. And so, you know, of course, they're doing that to avoid taxes. Regulators had no idea until years later that this was happening and so the reason is because all of these databases are closed, they're siloed, they're not open to anybody to, to look at. And so with the public blockchain, by contrast, regulators can have real-time instantaneous access even into private markets. And so this is some technology... That regulators really like. And that, and that's the common misconception that happens a lot is people hear, oh, blockchains. Well, you know, regulators don't like that. Governments don't like that. And what they haven't realized yet is that all of this information is public. Um, so governments and regulators actually do like this. Anytime someone steals money from someone on a blockchain or, or hacks someone, the governments eventually find them. Um, and so it's actually a really good technology in terms of transparency. And it's just way easier for record keeping. You know, no one can disagree that something happened in the past, whereas today you might have to subpoena Someone, or go into a lawyer's office, or go into a transfer agent's office, and get a bunch of literal pieces of paper. So those three things are, are some of the main benefits that we see with tokenization. Uh, you're you're teaming me up with uh, too many bad
0: jokes today that I'm, I'm I'm curtailing myself. I'm I'm ready to go, uh, uh, but you know, obviously, you know, you highlighted the positives. What what are some of the negatives?
1: I, I think probably the main negative is that things are transparent, um, right? So that's one of the benefits that we see, but it's a huge undertaking for a bank with, you know, a thousand person compliance department to figure out how can we properly hide the things that we need to hide from, you know, a PII personally identifiable information aspect. Um, And then also from a regulatory perspective. So, you know, even though on a blockchain, Graham Moore could be 0x123 and, and you could be 0xABC and we could transact with each other and no one necessarily knows who we are over time, you could probably figure out who JP Morgan is. Um, You could probably figure out their 0x123abc. And so that's something that the banks care a lot about. And one of the reasons why we don't think we've seen a huge amount of adoption yet for public blockchains, um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen through things like zero knowledge proofs. Um, But I think it's also going to happen just with a shift in what people are comfortable with sharing on a blockchain. Um, So I love talking about infrastructure inversions and, and inversions that have happened because of the internet. Um, if, you, if you'll indulge me. Please. So, uh, so previously, a business that was only in person and not online, let's say in 1990, you know, that's a trustworthy business. That's a good business. Um, and a business that was only online and not in person, that's a sh- shady, sketchy business. You don't want to deal with them at all. What if they'll steal your information or they'll kill you or something? You know, that was things that people actually thought in 1990. And now the inverse is true businesses that are only online you know slack uh facebook instagram uh paypal all these companies you know those are like the trustworthy ones that you want to deal with and then like the weird companies that are only in a physical location like that's kind of scary they have you're telling me they have no website like that's terrifying who are they we don't know who they are they have no reviews and so the same thing we think is going to happen with blockchains and securities where previously securities you know if it's not on the new york stock exchange or it's not on Uh, the nasdaq if it's not a piece of paper held in some filing cabinet somewhere by a transfer agent you know that used to be the gold standard oh that's great you know that's the very trustworthy thing and oh my god a blockchain you're gonna you're gonna trust your assets to be on a blockchain that's terrifying but the inverse is going to be true very very soon once people realize the power of what this technology can do, and they see the transparency aspect where they can see, okay, yeah, no, we can actually finally have a perfect paper trail of everything that's ever happened in the past and no one can disagree with it. So
0: as uh, someone who uh, got on the street in the 90s, I can validate that. (laughs) That's that's a very good way of uh, thinking about it. Um, Perhaps you could share some uh, use cases uh, that you're seeing right now of large institutions and the way they're experimenting with blockchain.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about One big one uh, that we love. Um, So BNP, Paribot, they're the ninth largest bank in the world, largest bank in Europe. Um, So they have tokenized a bond um, using our technology. Um, So I mentioned initially that our technology was built on Ethereum uh, before Polymesh. And so they actually used that technology. It's called ERC-1400, which is an extension of ERC-20, if anybody knows that token standard or they've, or they've heard of it. And so they tokenized, I think it was about $100 million bond on behalf of an energy client that they had. Um, and, you know, it worked. Um, and so that was something that, you know, definitely took a while for them to get through their compliance process. It took a lot of understanding and learning and and literally years of making sure, you know, all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted, but you know, it ended up working. Um, another one, Sockgen. So again, a French bank, I don't know what's going on in France, but they love, uh, blockchains for securities. Um, Sockgen is also tokenized, I believe it was a hundred million dollar bond. Um, and then a, a really cool thing that happened. Um, and this is, I think the only bank that has done this. In terms of public blockchains, is Sockgen made a? Uh, they made a proposal for MakerDAO. Are you familiar with MakerDAO? No. So MakerDAO is the creator of Dai, which is a stablecoin, Dai. Um, and so what they said is, we want this bond to be able to be used as collateral, so people can mint new dollar stablecoin tokens. And so that's a gigantic bank, you know, I think they're maybe top 50 in the world, um, interacting with a public blockchain protocol, using Ethereum tokens to pay fees for that, to attempt to allow a bond to be used as collateral. And I think that's really one of the cool use cases as well. And so this isn't really as big on the institutional side yet, um, but lending is a huge one. Um, so, In the past, and even today, if I want to borrow against some of the stocks that I own, if I want to borrow against my house, I have to call someone on a telephone or I have to send someone an email. I have to maybe go to an office. I have to wear a suit or something like that. I'm wearing a t-shirt today because I hate wearing suits. Um, I have to talk to someone. I have to convince them that I'm a good person to lend money to. And then they have to confirm that my collateral is good enough. And then they will maybe give me a loan in a week or a month. Today on a blockchain, I can get a loan in five seconds. I go into a blockchain protocol that has the ability to deposit collateral. Everyone agrees on what the collateral is because it's on a blockchain, it's either Bitcoin or Ethereum or eventually some bond token that Sockgen issued. I deposit the bond or I deposit the stocks or I deposit the crypto asset into a lending protocol and immediately I get a loan of, let's call it 25% loan to value. And so never having to talk to a single human being, like, like that's huge. And I think people are really underestimating what's going to happen because of that. So, you
0: know, thinking about the markets and, you know, obviously, you know, we we've, we've have 100-year events every 10 years now, if, if not less. And, now, you know, thinking about uh, Credit Suisse and Archegos, I'm thinking about Silicon Valley Bank. You know, are, are there any uh, any examples of things where you, you and your colleagues are sitting around the office and have said to yourself,
1: oh, God, if they were only on the chain, you know, <laughs> um, this would have never happened? I, well, one one of them is, is the French banks and and the uh, tax evasion that I talked about um so so there's that one um, there are a lot of things I mean a, another thing that even happened in crypto was was FTX um, and so what FTX was doing if people are unaware is FTX was a Very large cryptocurrency exchange. Um, People could deposit Bitcoin or Ethereum or other tokens into uh, FTX and then they could trade those assets. And what FTX said they were doing, what they were supposed to be doing, was holding all of those client assets one-to-one on behalf of their client. But because FTX's internal structure and custodian uh, setup was completely opaque and no one knew exactly which wallets were theirs and where they were going and what their random hedge fund named Alameda was doing, They actually had almost no Bitcoin left. And so when people started to say, hey, I want my Bitcoin back, they didn't have any of it because they had traded it for other tokens. They had tried to short Bitcoin to make more money if Bitcoin was going down, but it actually ended up going against them and they ended up losing money. And so there's this really cool concept now called proof of reserves. where using some knowledge proofs. uh, An exchange can actually prove without necessarily verifying to the whole world which accounts are theirs, what assets they have and where. Um, So now you can rest assured, okay, you know, if there's a run on this exchange, I don't have to pull my assets out today because I can pull them out next week Um, because I can see that the exchange has proved, okay, they have 5,000 Bitcoin or whatever the amount is. And so things like proof of reserves, you know, I think that's going to be a really important thing moving forward. Where especially in a world of, uh, of uh, non-fractional reserve banking, you know, that's something that I would like to see happen very soon. and I think it's going to happen very soon where I can actually see, okay, I put my Bitcoin or I put my U.S. dollars or whatever into this bank and they can prove that they actually have custody of them today and they haven't lent them out. And if there's a bank run, I can rest assured because I can see exactly where my cash is.
0: You know, it it was interesting. One of our other podcasts, we got into the discussion of, you know, the biggest banks, the deepest wallets, the most talent, the most resources, you know, most likely they'll be the winners and and how – uh, smaller institutions can be competitive against them but uh he had a contrary opinion saying smaller institutions can be more nimble do you do you see uh institutions at this point you know coming up that you haven't expected or they're not the big brands if you will that are really looking to do some really innovative things with this type of technology
1: i think an interesting one is is coinbase Right, where ten years ago we would have said who? You know, I don't I don't even know who that company is. I don't even know when they were founded, but yeah, maybe about ten years ago. Um, where, you know, Coinbase was nothing at that point, and now Coinbase is who BlackRock selects to be their custodian for their Bitcoin ETF. And so I think being nimble is is huge. Um, while still needing to have certain types of compliance resources. And so that that's become Coinbase's bread and butter is. They are the nimble startup tech-like company in this ecosystem where they still have tons of lawyers on staff. They're the ones that are trying to fight the SEC on a bunch of stuff. They have the legal resources to do that. They have the pockets to do that. They're publicly traded. They can go raise more equity funding very easily if they need to. And so I think Coinbase is is a really big winner that we're seeing in the space right now. And that we'll see in it coming through in tokenization as well. You know, broker-dealer, they have a broker-dealer license um, that they haven't been able to use that yet because uh, Gary has not really allowed them to for for some reason. Um, And so, yeah, I I think Coinbase is going to be a huge winner, but then we're still going to see BlackRock handling the majority of people's assets. Um, You know, crypto company uh, asset manager 123 versus BlackRock, BlackRock wins every time. Um, But for something new like custody of digital assets, which never existed before. You know, people thought it would maybe be Fidelity winning that, but a lot of the ETF applications all mention Coinbase as their custodian. And so we could really see Coinbase defeat Fidelity there, even though Fidelity will, will I imagine, be a close second.
0: Well, maybe if uh, the Coinbase guys start wearing suits, you know, Gary will uh, start accepting meetings more. Yeah. Um, So a recent Polymesh report looked at the leadership role in APAC countries are taking in
1: crypto regulation. Can you uh, perhaps give us some highlights of this report? Yeah. We looked at uh, South Korea, uh, Hong Kong, and Singapore. And so the reason we wanted to do this was they have been putting out actual legislation, and we've seen a ton of interest there, especially for tokenization uh, from companies in those countries, just setting up in those countries to uh, even brand new startups, established players, all saying we understand that tokenization is a future. How can we do this? Um, how do we get started? What do we need in terms of regulations and, and compliance and whatnot? Um, but they've actually put out legislation in those countries. And it's a stark contrast to what's been happening in the U.S., where... People still don't really know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And so I think we really just did that report to showcase. Look what South Korea has done. They have this thing called the Digital Assets Basics Act where they have, I think it was something like 17 legislative proposals that come into effect next year. Singapore is had, uh, things out for years now. Um, although they sometimes, uh, are a little bit restrictive on who can and who can't hold assets. Hong Kong has sort of flipped hot and cold, uh, over the years, you know, retail are allowed to hold these assets. Retail aren't allowed to hold these assets. But now again, retail are allowed to hold assets in Hong Kong, which is a uh, pretty encouraging to see. But yeah, it was really just about, look at what's happening in this part of the world where companies are starting up, they know what they're allowed to do, they know what they're not allowed to do, and they're actually moving forward. Whereas in the US, everyone's at this sort of, you know, can we do this or can we not uh, mindset right now.
0: We've made it to the final question of the podcast and we call it the trend drop. Uh, It's like a desert island question. And so if you could only track one piece of blockchain tokenization for capital markets,
1: what would it be and why? The, The one thing I'm set on is dollar value of assets tokenized. Um, I, I think that's when we know if we're successful or not. Um, right now we're in the billions which is you know, good but still very nascent when you talk to anybody in traditional finance you know w- once you hit trillions then that's when people start caring that's that's really what happened in, in crypto as well when when the the cryptocurrency market cap hit a trillion dollars that's when you start to see blackrock really care that's when you start to see a lot of the traditional financial players start to really care and we're still at billions uh, in terms of tokenization of of assets but you know it's getting up there and it's getting up in an accelerated fashion. So um, I mentioned BNP, SockGen, JP Morgan has their Onyx private blockchain implementation for tokenization. uh, And then also there are a number of other players that are just starting out. Um, So KKR, uh, large, large fund. you know, They've announced that they've tokenized one of their funds so that they can increase access and availability uh, to who can purchase that. And so you know, there's a ton of stuff that's happened in the last six months, a ton of stuff that I will hopefully be able to announce in you know, the next six months. Um, um, yeah, it's really only picking up from here. But yeah, the main thing is, what is the dollar value of assets tokenized on-chain? Because that's when people start to really care.
0: Well, Graham, I want to thank you so much. This was a, a fantastic conversation, um, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming up next week, we'll dive into data and new technologies and processes driving the industry's growth and prosperity. Stay ahead of the trend by tuning into our latest episode. But first, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, a like, and check out our other episodes. Thanks for joining.